Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl Stephanie Hardy. I know that last week I didn't do an episode because it was WrestleMania weekend and I had so much cool stuff to do and I can't wait to talk about it in this episode, but I'm back with a new episode. So if this is your first time listening, welcome and thank you for joining the ride. And if this isn't your first time listening, like... Thank you for continuing to, you know, support me and this show as I continue to tell you about all the wild happenings of professional wrestling. And we've had a lot of wild happenings this week after WrestleMania and during WrestleMania week, and I can't wait to talk about it. So, of course, I got your news and gossip-ish, and I have a special segment in which I pay tribute to the history-making match between Sasha and Bianca, and I have my favorite moments from WrestleMania Night 1 and Night 2. So sit back, relax, and listen to the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. All right, so now uh, we've got your news and gossipish here, and we have to start with the most recent and most heartbreaking thing to actually take place um, after a WrestleMania. So basically, almost one year—well, actually, a year to the day. Um, there was all of these releases that took place last year um, that they sort of blamed on the pandemic. They released, WWE actually released a whole bunch of amazing talent this past week. Like, it was really sad because the way that I saw it, it was like I saw it on my phone and all of a sudden I just saw where a bunch of people had been released and fired out of nowhere. And I'm just like, what the heck? So they released Samoa Joe, um, and they also released the Iconics as Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. Um, they weren't the Iconics anymore, you know, as of, you know, now, but now they're released. But basically, you have to mention them together because they were best friends and they came in together. They also released Tucker, who used to be in Heavy Machinery with Otis. They released Bo Dallas, who is um, Bray Wyatt's brother. They released um, Kalisto, who used to be a um, Lucha House Party. And they also released Mickey James, who is an icon in the business. And they released Chelsea Green which I, and um, Mojo Rawley, which I thought was really low. Um, actually, I didn't necessarily think that was low. I thought that releasing Chelsea Green was really low in the sense that she made her debut on SmackDown, but then she got injured. And then after she got injured, it was like she was working her way back to, to come back and make her smackdown debut at some point but then after that you just go ahead and release her and i felt like her story in wwe has just been always a back and forth thing will they won't they type of thing and she's always worked to get really to get better to get to that point because that was her dream because she because i remember the first time i saw her she started off as um a part of a storyline with daniel bryan as a nurse you know and it was just so weird how she sort of worked her way up, you know, even from being an impact and all of that stuff just to get to WWE, go through NXT, you know, have a good run there and then get brought up only for her to get released out of nowhere. Like it was just so sad. But Zack Ryder, well, a.k.a. Matt Cardona, her fiance was being really supportive of her on social media. And she had this to say about it. 
she released a note that said i've made once in a lifetime memories at wwe i didn't do everything i set out to do but i'm proud of what i have done can you say you were in a royal rumble for 14 seconds i'm proud of the fact that i never took no for an answer even after four tryouts and a reality show i'm proud of the fact that i came back stronger every single time i was knocked down or broken arm Although it's been a few years, nothing has changed. I'm still that girl. Tomorrow, I'll get up, dust myself off, and start on my next journey. I'm taking back control. I'm refocusing, and I'm doing... And I'm going to do what I've always set out to do, make a name for myself. It's been short and sweet, WWE Universe. I'll see you on TV with a heart emoji. And Billy Kay also released a statement as well saying thank you WWE Vince McMahon and Triple H for the past six years they have fulfilled my dr- my dreams entirely from being a 10 year old girl that fell in love with WWE from the moment I saw the rock on TV and now I'm walking away with so many incredible moments from super showdown in front of my family and friends to winning the tag team championships at Wrestlemania Thank you to every single person in both locker rooms and everyone that I had the pleasure of working behind the scenes with, too. I love you all and will never forget your support and all the crazy stories we've we have together. I will miss you all so much. Thank you all to the fans for inviting me for inviting me into your lives. I hope I made you smile and laugh. That's all I ever wanted to do. I'll never forget all the kind words and memories we've had together over the years. Thank you to my family for always supporting this crazy dream and sacrificing so much for me to achieve it. I honestly wouldn't have gotten to where I am without you all. You have my entire heart. And then she thanks um, Peyton Royce, whose real name is Cassie. And thank you to my life partner, Cassie. Our journey started together and and it's only fitting that it ends together. I love you. I'm beyond proud of you and I'm with you forever. Lastly, thank you to everyone that reached out to me today. Knowing that I affected people's lives in a positive way means the absolute world to me, BK. And this was just really heartbreaking to see because you have all these people who worked so hard to get to this point only to get fired and to get let go out of nowhere. And then Mickey James released a tweet saying that she was grateful for the memories and grateful for the locker room and for the fans. And she's grateful for these little keys to my golden handcuffs. You can never expect others vision of you to be as big as your own dreams. Thank you, Vincent man, always grateful and blessed. And you could tell that it kind of took a toll on some members of the locker room and even people outside of the locker room like Renee Young, um, a.k.a. Renee Paquette. She tweeted and said, you know, how do you drop the ball on Samoa Joe, who's that talented? And that's true because Samoa Joe was just commentating at WrestleMania out in the rain, you know, for night one. And then all of a sudden it's like you don't see him on commentary anymore. So everybody assumed that he was just going to start fighting again. And then he also had that show on YouTube where he was talking about trucks and then doing interviews and stuff. And now all of a sudden he just gets let go. And it's so sad because he, you know, he tries to work through his injuries and all of that. And he never had a full on chance to win the WWE championship, but or the Universal Championship. And now he's gone. And it's just there's just so much potential there that was just lost. And then when you think about Kalisto, who worked so hard, you know, worked his body out and everything after he sort of turned heel on the Lucha House Party, you would have thought they would have did more with him, but they did it. And it's just so horrible. Um, so I hope that everyone who got caught up in this firing situation you know bounces back because if it's anything that i've learned about wrestling in the past year is is just that wwe is not the end all be all or the and it should 
and it shouldn't necessarily be the end goal if that's not exactly what you want so i'm hoping nothing but the best for all of these people and sending them nothing but healing energy and i'm hoping that nobody else gets released or nobody else gets fired because it can be the absolute worst thing to watch people that you love and people who you actively root for you know to just get fired out of nowhere but who knows you know they'll probably find success in other places as well so blessings to all of those people and i hope that they land on their feet and find a place that actually that will you know value them and what they have to offer also in the news we have um the bella twins talking to people magazine about their struggles um with their insecurities with their post baby bodies of course you know nikki bella and brie bella they've just been inducted into the hall of fame this year well it was for last year but then they had their ceremony this year because covid so they mentioned in this People magazine article um, that they're 37 years old and how they've been hard on themselves, you know, since they've had their babies. Um, Nikki Bella said that she has received social media comments after WrestleMania asking if she was pregnant again um, with a child with her fiance, Artem. And she said, no, I'm not. Um, she said her dress was baggy and with the number of placement and being super bloated from travel and hormones um i totally look at it is what it is and she also said that she had abs back in the day and a little belly at night hashtag mom life and then she continued to talk about on the bella's podcast how she had been working out so hard looking great and then when we flew to florida on friday she was holding eight pounds of water and she couldn't get rid of it and that she bloated so bad that she thought she was pregnant and she and basically Nikki, you know, said that she has had good days and bad days when it comes to how she feels about her body. And then Bree said, you know, think of how good you look for 37. And I don't know if you're comparing yourself to 20 year olds, but compare yourself to your age. So the thing is, when you have kids, I, I've actually never had a child. Um, but I can imagine from what I've been told from the women in my life who had had children, it's like your entire body goes through so much of different changes at a time and you sort of take take it slow and do the best you possibly can while you're housing a human you know and you take care of yourself as best as you can and then of course after you have a baby you sort of want to snap back you know and get back to what you used to look like and get back to being you know what your definition of sexy was before you had the baby um, but at the same time, you can't really blame yourself. You know, if you kind of go back and forth with that, you have to sort of, you know, embrace your body for what it is and sort of take everything slow. Um, so here's hoping that the Bellas can, you know, still feel beautiful, even as, you know, they navigate motherhood and being, you know, wives and fiancés and stuff like that. And they can, you know, get back to what they feel like beauty is, but also knowing that you're beautiful regardless of you know what you've been through in terms of body trauma or you know giving birth or even if you've never given birth and you feel like your body isn't you know exactly up to par with what you think is beautiful or whatever I mean if you want to change it you know by all means take the freedom to change it but at the same time don't down yourself either you know you're beautiful regardless so this is a body positive podcast. So because I know I can be hard on myself and my body too, because I used to be skinny. Um, but you know, it's okay. So also in the news, we have 
rumors of the eventual return of Ronda Rousey to the WWE. Um, she suggested um, that a re- WWE return is in her future, but there is no official timeline for that. So um, on Table Talk with Devon Dudley, she mentioned the fact that she actually waited until this moment to tell everybody I don't know when I'll return when I feel like it I'll come back when I feel like it eventually when I feel like it um so she hasn't been on WWE television since she lost um the first women's main event at Wrestlemania against Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair and that was two years ago um and she wanted to take a break to sort of start a family with her husband Travis Brown but they really haven't they haven't had a child as of yet but she's sort of been busy sort of running the farm that they have together and everything um it was rumored that her wwe contract was slated to expire on april the 10th which was the first night of wrestlemania 37 but then it's also possible that a new contract you know extension could have been negotiated without without it being announced publicly um so it's more likely if she does make her return it might be a secret which i wouldn't mind because i'm all for a good surprise so if you're gonna so if she's gonna ever return to the wwe smack me in the face with it <laughs> like smack me in the face with them when i'm not expecting it so i can pop and you know get loud and be happy about it and everything because i actually miss ronda rousey wrestling because you can tell she really did care about it you know and she really did want to put on the best matches and everything even though people kind of turned on her um in terms of the fan base um like we have a tendency to do sometimes but i really do actually miss her wrestling because i just really enjoyed her living her dream so that was cool also in the news we have chris jericho you know talking about how AEW may have made nxc go leave wednesday nights you know screaming and yelling so he spoke to alfred konua who is a really good writer from forbes magazine about wrestling that i like to read um and he talked to him about a number of topics that was put and it was published wednesday morning and he said that um he that AEW wanted to drive nxc away screaming and yelling and we did that he was quoted as to say i know wwe nxc was watching our stuff during their show but this was not a war that we were ever asking for. We were kind of thrust into it by proxy. The reason why we want it and we want it so handily is we never worried about what anyone else was doing. We just worried about our own show. I think the best thing about being unopposed is now people don't have to decide. There's been a lot of shows that we've done with some great segments and some great moments that might have been missed because people were switching back and forth. And then he went on to add, of course, we're competitive. Yes, we wanted to beat NXT. Yes, we, want the, we wanted to drive them screaming and yelling away from Wednesdays. And we did just that. But here's my problem with that entire statement. My issue with that is just the fact that you're talking about how AEW focused on what they were doing, you know, with their own show. But yet constantly, every time a new person or a new signee came from um wwe and went to aw it's like they cut the same boring promo talking about how you know they didn't get what they wanted or how they weren't valued or the wwe is trash promo and how but it's like you weren't worried about them but then nxc wasn't exactly worried about you guys either because 
NXT is a develop is a so-called developmental show and they weren't really focused on y'all you know to that extent because they're focused on creating the stars of the future on that show that's who what they're focused on they weren't really too focused on um competing with you guys either so it's almost like they're sort of giving off the impression that there was this war but in actuality it wasn't and i'm trying to figure out why would chris jericho say something like that even after he was featured on the stone cold um broken skull sessions which is a wwe property so why would you say that and give off the impression that AEW won a war that actually wasn't a war because if AEW truly wanted to go to war like i've said multiple times on this podcast they really would have tried they should have tried to be on Mondays or Fridays. And then we will we will have seen who would have won that war. But seeing as this isn't 1990s anymore, we need to really just get past the war and just let people enjoy what wrestling they're going to enjoy and just call that mess a day and just shush and just stop being dramatic. Um, also in the news, we have CM Punk who made a statement about who he would possibly wrestle against Um if he were to ever come back um but yet people still you know sort of talk about him and everything even at wrestlemania there are people chanting cm punk during the pre-show which is which is kind of the inevitable when it comes to live events so even though he hasn't wrestled since 2014 he said in an interview with raj prashad of uprocks um he mentioned you know who would make the most you know who he would face um off against in wwe and in AEW. He stated, from a creative mind standpoint, stepping back and looking at the landscape of everything, there are people in WWE that I have wrestled before that maybe in a certain situation could be interesting. There's also the business of the business side of things. What's the biggest possible match for CM Punk? I think there's Kenny Omega on the one side. And you know, unfortunately, ironically enough, for me to go back to WWE, who's the biggest match for me? It's probably Triple H. That's ironic because it's nothing I'm interested in. It just is what it is. Am I going to be a businessman and say that's the match? That's the big money match? Well, it's not my money, so it's not for me to say. Now, him versus Kenny Omega would be cool. But in terms of WWE, um, him versus Triple H would be would be kind of hot. Because there was always, you know, the underlying rumors that they had heat between each other and that they never liked each other for real. But I would want to see, I feel like the real money match in WWE for CM Punk to fight would be against Seth Rollins. Because you have both of these people who sort of rep Chicago really hard, even though CM Punk actually is from Chicago. Um, and Seth Rollins is just fans of, you know, properties from Chicago and stuff like that. It's just, I really feel like that would be your money thing. Because since Seth Rollins turned heel and basically became the savior you know, and the Messiah, you know, persona or whatever. I really feel like when you have that person versus the second city saint, you can't really go wrong with that type of dynamic there. It should be Punk versus Seth Rollins if you're going to do anything. And if he's also going to come back, bring AJ Lee back so she can fight Sasha Banks, please. But um, <laughs> either way, I feel like CM Punk is just really teasing people at this point because it's just like, oh, well, I could come back, but then I don't know about the money and da 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 da. Like, if you want to come back, just come back, son. Just come back so I can watch it on TV and watch my boyfriend mark out and cry possibly and just lose his mind so I can just, you know, enjoy watching him being happy. So, yeah. Um, also in the news, 
we had Jazz do her retirement speech on Impact and I watched it and it was very heartfelt and very sincere. And I really loved it because it's just like, she's going on this retirement tour now and she's been doing everything on Impact, putting over young girls and winning a couple of matches herself. And she even beat up Fire and Flavor, the um, Impact knockout tag team champions as Tasha Steeles and Kiara Hogan, you know, when they interrupted her retirement speech. And she thanked her tag team partner, Jordan Grace and everything for actually wanting her to come back. And it was just really heartfelt and really nice to see all of the um, Impact roster come out and give her, you know, her their flat her flowers and clap for her and everything because she's done so much for the business. And it was also ironic that it happened, you know, the week after Bianca and Sasha main event at WrestleMania Night One, and Jazz is definitely the main reason, one of the main reasons as to why that main event even happened. Um, with all of her success at WrestleManias at um, WrestleMania eight nine. 18 and 19. So um, congratulations to Jazz on her retirement. And I can't wait to see her in May um, for her retirement tour because she's coming to Gaston at the Belladonna Division show Genesis that I will be commentating. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much all that's going on in news and gossipish. And now we're going to go to my special segment about Bianca and Sasha and their historic match at WrestleMania for the SmackDown Women's Championship. All right, so I would like to call this segment, Sasha and Bianca, Black Girl Magic. So if you may or may not know, um, this past weekend was WrestleMania weekend. They had to split up into two nights like they did last year because of the pandemic and stuff. Only this time, they actually had it set in Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida, where it was supposed to be last year. Um, and of course, they had all kinds of safety precautions or whatever, and they had to split up over two nights. So they had a set of matches on night one and a set of matches on night two. Now, a lot of critics and a lot of people um, on social media were talking about how they felt like night one was was definitely better than night two. And I'm I may be one of those people well, who feels like night one was a lot stronger than night two because I felt like a lot of my emotion and a lot of the matches I was the most excited for happened on night one. So I enjoyed night two for the most part, but at the same time, night one just had a, an extra oomph behind it um, along with a bunch of other matches and segments that I really enjoyed as well that I'll talk more about in the next segment about WrestleMania my experience with it but night one had one of the most special moments that I will hold near and dear to me for the rest of my life and that was the main event match involving the former SmackDown Women's Champion Sasha Banks and the newly crowned SmackDown Women's Champion Bianca Belair and this match was absolutely fantastic but then out I'll basically talk more about how amazing the athleticism was. It was one of the most solid main events I'd ever seen um, for WrestleMania since I've actually started watching them. So I have to start this off by talking about what my journey is um, as a fan, but not only just as a fan, but as a fan who just so happens to be a black woman. Um... Sasha and Bianca were the first two black women to ever main event at a WrestleMania this year. And that's the reason why it was very significant and really beautiful in the sense that you saw these two women, you know, make this history right here. And 
all of their lives professionally and personally led to this moment but it wasn't just their lives that was tied into it because when it comes to history there's so much that goes into it including the people who also came before you so I'm just going to talk about what my journey was you know watching the match and all the emotions that I felt leading into it so as a black female um who grew up with two parents you know and a father who loves who loved wrestling so very much and then shared it with me and my sister he never really told us oh you couldn't watch wrestling because you're a girl or whatever you know he just let us watch it with him and that was our sport and that's our thing um when growing up there really wasn't a whole lot of black women that you saw in wrestling or wrestling that much at all um outside of the few outside of the ones that were few and far between like jazz who just retired um for television purposes on impact wrestling and jacqueline who was the first um african-american women's champion in wwe or wwf at the time and the first cruiserweight champion um the first female cruiserweight champion they ever had as well um, and then you also have Alicia Fox, who was the first and only Divas champion of African-American descent that WWE ever had. And then you have Naomi, who became a two-time SmackDown Women's Champion and was the first black woman to win a, a mainstream championship at a WrestleMania, even though it wasn't in the main event. Um, with those women specifically, those are really the main women that I think about outside of also um, you have in the 2000s, you had Crystal, who was more so of a valet and not that much of a wrestler. And then you had Charmel, who is Booker T's wife, who was who started off as a Nitro girl in WCW, but then went on to be his valet, of course, you know, and then them having the whole King Booker Queen Charmel gimmick, you know, that was always a thing. And then you have Shaniqua, who is a little bit of a wrestler, but more so of a valet for the Basham Brothers tag team in the early 2000s, if you remember them. So the representation for black women in wrestling um growing up for me um as a person who was born in the 90s was kind of few and far between and i had my favorites of course you know who were of other um descents of course um but at the same time there was always something missing there in terms of you know more women outside of the ones that i previously mentioned who looked like me who were in places of prominence a whole lot. Now, I remember Jazz a whole lot because she um, was with Teddy Long and then with Rodney Mack, who is also her husband. And I just remember all three of them being together a little bit as a faction and it being one of the most powerful things I'd ever seen. And she had this strength and she had this, you know, braggadocious, you know, attitude that I just really loved and gravitated towards. And she always called herself, you know, the B word. And she was always like, oh, the bitch is back and all this other stuff. And it caught me off guard because I was always taught that that was a bad word. But she was willingly calling herself this. And I was just like, man, wow, okay. <laughs> this is, and she would definitely give the likes of Trish Stratus and Victoria a run for their money all the time. And um, and she was just always one of the best um, black female wrestlers I'd ever seen. And I also love Jacqueline too. But it's like the opportunities that they would get were few and far between. And the older I got, um, and the more I started paying attention to wrestling, you know, as I started getting older and then going to college and stuff, it was almost like Naomi 
at a certain point was like the only representation of black females that we had and it was Naomi and then it was Alicia Fox and Alicia Fox wasn't really going for the title but there were a couple of times where Naomi was but yet they would never give her the chance because they were sort of playing hot potato with the Divas Championship between AJ Lee and between Paige who had just you know debuted from NXT um and ended her reign as the NXT Women's Champion because she gave that away and um Nikki Bella and even though Nikki Bella and AJ Lee are women of color um because they're of Puerto Rican and Hispanic um descent it's just and I don't knock that at all it's just the fact that they were always it felt like to me that it seemed like they were always overlooking Naomi um as an actual talent because she had always been talented but somehow or another they would never give her the chance and it was only until maybe and it wasn't until maybe 2016 or 2017 in which they actually let her you know have her chance when she finally did you know find her feel the glow um moment and she was able to capture the title and then lose it and have to give it up due to injury and then win it back at WrestleMania. And to me, that was a little bit upsetting because you have to, because it's almost like out of all the chances that so many other women get, like your Alexa Blisses or your Charlottes or, you know, of course your Nikki Bellas and all of that, it was almost like black women were having to sort of wait a longer period of time in order to be considered worthy to be champion and that sort of bothered me a bit because I'm just like Naomi has all the talent she has all the charisma why aren't you letting her run with the ball um and then when you have Alicia Fox now I know she had her struggles behind the scenes but she was definitely talented as well and it just didn't make any sense to me why they were always just skipping over them right so um you can only imagine my delight as a fan when NXT and their women's division was starting to grow, there was this woman named Sasha Banks who strolled up, you know, with all of her success and everything from the um, independent circuit as Mercedes KV. And she gets to, you know, NXT and she finds by the time I start watching NXT, you know, in its reformed manner, I see Sasha Banks as this boss character. And she has all this attitude and all this swagger. And the first match I ever saw her wrestle was against Becky Lynch at, I believe it was at an NXT, it wasn't an NXT TakeOver at the time. I think it was a TakeOver Unstoppable or something. And they were wrecking each other. (laughs) They were ruining each other. They were breaking each other's arms. Like it was one of the most incredible matches I had ever seen in my life. And I actively rooted for the both of them, you know, throughout their careers because of that match, because that was the one that exposed me to the greatness of Sasha Banks and to the greatness of Becky Lynch. But specifically, we're going to talk about Sasha Banks here. And when it comes to Sasha and her journey coming through the Indies, I'm going to talk about the differences between Sasha and Bianca here because they're very, you know, they're very telling. But at the same time, there's still some similarities there, too. So Sasha came through the independence and then she went to wrestling schools and she had a family dynamic that was sort of like her single mother and taking care of her brother who was um, dealing with uh, dealing with different issues in terms of mental health and stuff like that. And there was a lot of struggle, you know, within her um, family dynamic, but she worked hard and did her very best to follow her dreams because she knew she wanted to be a wrestler from the jump. Right. And she was inspired, you know, immediately from watching Eddie Guerrero wrestle and she didn't care 
if she if she had to be a diva wrestling in bikini matches or whatever she just wanted to be in the wwe and that is the kind of passion that you can't necessarily you know buy anywhere and pick up off the ground like that's just something that just fully resonates with you as a person because you want to make you know better of yourself and you want to be more um than your surroundings and that's something that that i really admire about sasha banks and to this day, she continues to train and get better at her craft. You know, when in her downtime, she would go to Japan to train with some of the best trainers. She would go um, train with Amazing Red at House of Glory in New York and stuff like that. Like she continues to learn and get better at her craft. And I think ultimately that's what makes her the greatest women's wrestler um, of all time. And you can fight me on it. You can argue with me about it. I don't care. That's just how I feel. Um so she became, you know, a history making champion because of the fact that she cares and loves wrestling so very much. And it's allowed her to have various opportunities outside of wrestling, including her, you know, being an actress on The Mandalorian. So there's that. And then you have Bianca, who has an incredibly strong family dynamic. And they sort of believed in her and sort of instilled in her a spirit of excellence and greatness. And she ran track in high school and then she played sports and then she also did CrossFit. And wrestling wasn't necessarily her dream like it was Sasha Banks. It's like she saw it in passing, you know, with her brothers, you know, watching it and stuff like that. But she never really wanted to full on pursue it as a career until it became a thing when she sort of had to stop CrossFit, you know, because of an injury. And then um, Mark Henry dropped in her DMs and was like, yo, like you should try for WWE. And she did. And she wound up, you know, standing out in her tryout and they wound up signing her and she wound up learning wrestling from the ground up at the performance center. And you would consider her a homegrown talent in terms of WWE stuff. But her passion now runs deep for, you know, in the form of her learning and actually, you know, growing and becoming better at it and learning more about it and respecting it as a business, even though some would consider her an outsider because she didn't come through the Indies like a lot of um, signees and a lot of women do. But she still makes it her own. And she's also tied to it with a passion for it, you know, through her husband, Montez Ford, who is just the most supportive man on the planet, you know, and they're both, you know, pushing each other to be their greater selves. And it's a wonderful thing. And they both, Bianca and Sasha both came through NXT, even though Sasha Banks was able to have a seven month reign as the NXT Women's Champion um, after Charlotte Flair. But Bianca Belair wound up falling short in that aspect because though she had multiple chances at the NXT Women's Championship, she sadly never won. And the one time we were sort of rooting for her really hard to win it was like last year when she came out um, for NXT TakeOver Portland against Rhea Ripley and she had on her Black History in the Making um, outfit in which she was manifesting everything that she was going to do this year. Um, And she wound up not winning and then being sort of tossed to the side for the Rhea and Charlotte program um, because Charlotte wanted to challenge Rhea for the NXT Women's Championship after she won the Royal Rumble. And everyone, all the fandom was pushing for a triple threat for Rhea, Bianca, and Charlotte. But it wound up not happening that way. And Charlotte wound up winning the NXT title. Though Bianca would wind up being called up to the main roster the night after WrestleMania. She knew this information. And we know this because of her WWE Chronicle. So 
it was kind of sad that she never won it. But then again, I always say that just because you never win the NXT Women's Championship doesn't mean that down the line you won't have that much success later. Because as you can see, Alexa Bliss and um, Becky Lynch never won the NXT Women's title. But now look at them. They have multiple reigns between them both. So you can't really necessarily say oh, you'll, you'll, it'll never be a thing just because, you know, they never won the NXT women's title, but Bianca debuted, um, via the Mae Young classic, which is the first one they ever did. And her first time wrestling in the Mae Young classic was the premiere of it, which was just so happened to be my 24th birthday, which was September 4th, um, 2017. And I just remember being so impressed by her and her red outfit with her, you know, lip signature lipstick um, stuff on it. And she was just so impressive. And then she was whipping people with that hair. And I was just like, oh, girl, what? <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. You know, like she was just so impressive to me. And I wound up loving her. And then she came up to NXT and started, you know, showing herself a whole lot there. And I just wound up enjoying her. And I had a moment with her when NXT Live actually came to Birmingham the last time. And they wrestled at the Batwell Auditorium. And me and my future mother-in-law, Miss McCoy, shout out to you, um, came and we sort of, we took pictures and hooked and basically like talked to the street prophets, Angelo and Montez, while Bianca was sort of standing off, you know, towards the backside of the building, to the back um, in front of the glass doors in front of the Boutwell. And she was sort of watching from, you know, behind. And I was looking at her like, is she going to? no okay she's gonna stay back there you know so I'm guessing she was letting Montez have his moment um and then I saw I saw her wrestle then at that show and it was just like man like she was just so amazing and so athletically gifted and she had all this confidence and everything it was just like it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen and so I just always felt like there was so much more that she had to offer and then also um, when it comes to Bianca Belair, you know, moving up to the main roster, we were all kind of worried about her, you know, and worried that the main roster wasn't going to do her right because they have a tendency to not do NXT people right, right? Um, she disappeared for a minute. She was on main event and then she came back on the main roster and had this feud with Zelina Vega, which I thought was pure excellence. Um, <laughs> so there was that. And then she participated, you know, in the Royal Rumble this year at number three and actually won because they were pushing her and you can feel the energy you know sort of shift when we could tell that they were beginning to push her you know to the forefront and be the winner of the Royal Rumble like she was very determined um a lot of people are determined but it felt something it was something different on her that you could just feel and when she wound up winning it and becoming only the second black person to ever win a Royal Rumble and the first black woman to win the women's Royal Rumble I felt like we were cooking with hot grease even then and Sasha um in comparison she never won a Royal Rumble match but you know she still had a good performance in the very first one and had a moment with Trish Stratus that I still feel like they haven't capitalized on somehow because they need to fight but either way um <laughs> it was just kind of like to watch Bianca win and to watch her be emotional as she was this year with winning the Royal Rumble it was just sort of you know amazing to see so everybody was wondering you know who's she gonna fight who's she gonna fight um but then that came comes later so when you have Sasha Banks even though she's never won a Royal Rumble you know she's had multiple history making turns she was the first 
um, she was a participant in the first women's main event and co-main event, you know, and the first Iron Woman match at NXT TakeOver Respect with Bayley um, for the NXT Women's title. And that match was really good. I definitely recommend watching that. And then she also had a GOAT level match. Um, actually, two, two other GOAT level matches with Bayley. Um, at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn and in Hell in a Cell last year where she won the SmackDown Women's title. Like, you just can't go wrong with those two. They just know each other so very well. And then you have um, the fact that Sasha participated in the first Women's Hell in a Cell match with Charlotte for the Raw Women's Championship. And that match was also the first time the first time a women's match pay-per-viewed, you know, at a mainstream um main event you know for a pay-per-view like that so that was just really cool and she's a part of the first ever women's tag team championship reign with bailey she's a six-time women's champion and she gives every woman you can arguably say that she gives just about every woman their best match it's almost like if you're facing sasha banks you know you're gonna have to come with your a game every single time even and you can look at that even with sasha banks and ronda rousey um that was definitely a great example as to how someone who you know was new in the business you know wanted to face someone like a Sasha Banks because she's a ring general and even Triple H mentioned that this week this past weekend he said that Sasha Banks is a ring general which is true at this point like there she can't have a bad match with anybody she can have a good match with her dog like I saw this on Instagram like she was doing like bumps and you know doing kind of like rollovers and everything with her dog Ryu you know chewing her um sleeve and I was just like so you can have a good match with your dog too okay ma'am I see you so it's just like Sasha did not hurt did not lose anything when she lost this match at Wrestlemania this year so but I'll get to that and then you have Bianca Belair and what she lacks in sort of experience you know she makes up for in terms of history because it's like I said when I mentioned her gear at NXT TakeOver Portland when she said Black History in the Making. It's like her family sort of raised her with, you know, to expect excellence in her daily life. All right, so in this part too, in mentioning how um, Bianca's family sort of expected excellence from her, it sort of comes from her having an amazing um, and colorful and history-making family background, right? You know how some of us really just don't, you know, have, don't really know exactly the type of stuff our family got into before we were born and all that other stuff? Like, Bianca definitely knows, because she mentioned in an interview um about what black history means to her and it's like in her family they've done all kinds of amazing things in order to push the envelope forward in in terms of black people in america um bianca mentioned that her grandfather edward g high was a professor and chairman of biochemistry at Mahari Medical College and the first black president of the Alumni Association Board at Indiana University. Her auntie, Miranda Hunt, was one of the first black students to integrate St. Cecilia High School in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Her great-grandfather, Edward Ann Toole, was the first black electrician in Durham, North Carolina, and his father was the son of the governor of South Carolina. And so when you think about all of these people in her life, you know, who've made history, you sort of 
feel like black history was something is something that she was taught to value and protect and cultivate even this year for black history month she and her husband montez actually dressed up as um black americans who made all kinds of history like barack and michelle obama and um harry belafonte and um Dorothy Dandridge and so many different other black icons, right? So it's like in everything that she does, she always, you know, makes it her business to give um, credit and gratitude towards the ancestors and how they basically paved the way for her to be where she is now. And with that type of um, ancestry, she has been able to make and manifest her own black history. Because in essence, she's the first, like I mentioned earlier, she's the first black woman to ever win the Women's Royal Rumble and the second black person, period, next to a rock to win the Royal Rumble. And she's the second black woman to win the SmackDown Women's Championship with Naomi being the first. And it's just you can tell that she values it with the gear she makes because there was that one year she made that matching gear with her and Montez that had all those black icons on it like Martin Luther King and Prince and Maya Angelou and Rosa Parks and so many other people like that. And then with her black history and the making gear that she had last year. So it's just with everything that Sasha Banks has to bring in terms of her experience um, in the in the wrestling um landscape you have Bianca with all of her achievements in track and field and CrossFit and stuff like that and along with her ancestry it's like you are in for a good time here in terms of what type of match they had at WrestleMania um this match was absolutely beyond like one of it was arguably one of the best women's matches I had ever seen and I know that I've talked about how much I love Sasha Banks and how I feel like she's a goat and everything and how much I love Bianca Belair. But this match here between these two was just on a different level, you know, of main event. And you can and even the audience, you know, that was there could feel the history in the air. It's like you had one side chanting for Bianca and you had the other side chanting for Sasha. And before they even locked up. They sort of looked at each other and when they heard them chanting, it's like they were crying, you know, and and that kind of got me a little bit choked up as I was watching it with the watch along for women's wrestling talk. You know, shout out to um, TK Trinidad and Emily May for having me on their show, you know, multiple times last week. Um, it's just you could tell the emotion was there. They were looking at each other, you know, and they almost started crying. And it got on my nerves a little bit that Corey Grace was saying, you know, you can't cry, you know, because you have to, you know, focus on the match and focus on the moment and don't let the moment overtake you, which I understand. But at the same time, that was, you know, an historic moment. Like that was it, you know, because there were so many little girls, so many black girls, including um, one of my associate pastor's um, daughters who was watching Pastor Darius um, McClure. His daughter was watching it. And that's just the moment, you know, where you sort of soak it in and realize that this, that you yourself are making history in that aspect. And Michael Cole, even though all that day with the pre-show, they were sort of darting around, you know, saying, you know, why it was a history making, you know, event. They just kept saying it's historic. It's historic. It's historic. It was Michael Cole who broke that glass wall and said, these are two black women. These are the first two black women to ever main event at a, at a WrestleMania. And he said it with his chest. And he said it with his chest Friday too. Like <laughs> that meant the world to me. Cause I was just like, you know, everybody else was just darting around it. Even weirdly enough, like on the pre-show, 
I love Kayla, I love me some Kayla Braxton and I love me some some Booker T occasionally, but they didn't even mention it themselves, you know, why it was historic. And then you had JBL on the pre-show who was saying that it wasn't about black history and using a quote that Teddy Long used. And I'm just saying, you know, you could say that, but at the same time, you know, if you're on the outside and if you are a person who isn't of color and you don't necessarily know what the struggle is yourself, you know, you have, you know, you're adjacent because you have black friends, but you don't know exactly what it's like to walk in our shoes. Then you won't know specifically why or the importance of it, you know, for real, for real. So to have Michael Cole actually be a journalist and actually have journalistic integrity and say that, you know, meant the world to me. And that's why he'll always be on my team. I love Michael Cole. So, <laughs> so as the match started, it was just sort of like you had Sasha Banks just being crafty um, with all of her moves and all of her wrestling abilities. It was like skill versus power. It was classic. It was a very classic, you know, um, head to head competition. You had Sasha Banks's skill and all of her wrestling, you know, prowess with all of her holds and all of her submissions and all of her transitions, you know, going up against Bianca Belair, who is pound for pound, one of the most powerful women in the world. She saw like there was a point where Bianca where um, Sasha jumped on Bianca from outside of the ring and and Bianca wound up catching her and lifting her up and basically pressing her uh, while walking up the steps and throwing her in the ring. That's the type of power that Bianca Belair has. She can lift you. And then there was also a point where she was doing like a lift. I think this was sort of like a jackknife suplex where she sort of lifted Sasha Banks' Banks's legs in the air and was doing like squats with her. She, like, she was like, I'm the E. S T and I was just like girl yes <laughs> lift her like lift her it was amazing and then you had Sasha Banks who can be very vicious right using all of using Bianca's braid you know against her to try to like run her into you know the the ring post but then Bianca you know pulled her and pulled her into the ring post and then she tried to use the braid against her you know while she had the bank statement locked in to try to you know get a submission victory and somehow Bianca was always powering out of it you know and then she got to the bottom rope to break out of it like she was constantly using that braid to try you know to use against her and then she was working on her arm you know to try to you know break one of her strongest assets which is her arms because she can lift right she can this woman can lift over 400 pounds with no problem but it didn't work in the end and beautifully enough Bianca you know told Sasha you know get off my hair which is something I feel um <laughs> in my soul and she whipped Sasha and left a welt on her <laughs> And it hurt and it ran and the sound radiated throughout the entire arena. And then she hit the KOD on her and got the one, two, three victory. And Bianca started crying. And I was rooting. I love both of these women so much, but arguably I was rooting for Bianca Belair. And it's hard to admit because I've been rooting for Sasha Banks for over seven or eight years now in every match she's in. But in this case, the momentum for Bianca was just too strong. And I love both of these women and I would not have been mad if, if Sasha had won because she has never had a WrestleMania victory. But in this but and but in this sense that, you know, see Sasha not having a WrestleMania victory pales in comparison to the moment that Sasha Banks was able to give Bianca like Sasha put Bianca over in the best way. And there couldn't have been a better person to do that for Bianca at that time. 
And the fact that Bianca now has solidified herself as a champion and as the future of the women's division is just one of the most beautiful things on the planet to me. When she won, I was screaming. I was screaming and crying. And I was just so happy for her. Like only two moments like that have, have happened. It was her and Kofi that have made me jump up and down and scream and cry over winning a title. Like it was just one of the most beautiful moments I had ever seen in my life. That entire match was great. And she was great in it. And the fact that her dad and her mom were trying to jump over the barricade to celebrate with her, you know, it was just a beautiful thing. And then to see her husband later on um, coming down to the ring to celebrate with her and kiss her face and just, you know, uplift her and lift her on his shoulders like they're the black Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth was just the most amazing thing I could have ever seen in my entire life. Like they're oh, my God, like it just meant the world to me because Bianca is this woman who did not dream and didn't and did not actively pursue wrestling like she didn't say when I grow up I want to be a wrestler you know like she had other ambitions she wanted to be the next Flojo right um Florence Joyner and it's just sometimes life doesn't go the way you think it does you think it ought to or the way that you plan it like you have all these plans in your head you know you think you know exactly what you want to do but sometimes or at least I this is how I see it your my higher power you know has a tendency to look down on you and laugh at you like ah you think that's what you're gonna do oh let me let me figure out this work I'm like let me I cannot wait for you to figure out what I'm actually doing in your life and she said she says all the time that this was a dream that she didn't know it was a dream and then once it became a dream it became her reality and that's something that speaks to me even in my life as a wrestling podcaster and as a um future commentator it's like I didn't think I could anybody would ever listen to me with a podcast because when you think of people with podcasts you think of famous people who've done something for a long period of time or experts I'm not a wrestling expert and I don't claim to know everything about wrestling I'm just a fan that's only been watching this since I was four years old and I've been to multiple wrestling events and I've met wrestling people and I know you know some stuff about the business but I'm still learning each and every day um but I never imagined that anybody would ever want to listen to me or I would ever have an audience. And it's opened so many doors and opened so many, you know, blessings for me in my life. And I just, you know, acknowledge that me and Bianca Belair sort of have the same, have parallel journeys in that way. And you just sort of feel like the best is just still yet to come for her you know, as the future of the women's division. And also um, for the other two women who won championships this weekend and Raquel and um, Rhea, because they all came up in it to in it through NXT together. So as a black female fan, I was just so proud to, to see those two women, you know, in that moment, because I just couldn't help but think about all the women who paved the way for that moment, like sweet Georgia Brown or um, like, like, so many women um like Jazz and Jacqueline and Alicia Fox and Naomi and um the Ethel Johnsons like all of those people um like all of those people all those women who made it possible for this to happen it's just out of this world to me and it's just like how none of those women were able to you know bask in that moment but because they paved the way Sasha and Bianca can can you know bask in this moment and no matter what person 
tries, what fan on the outside who isn't of the culture or what wrestling expert outside of the culture tries to say to try to downgrade that moment, that main event will go down in history as one of the greatest main events. Because I know someone um, was talking about how they feel like, you know, if you like we're comparing it and how it stacks up to Austin versus The Rock or um, Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker and all this other stuff. Um, and how it supposedly pales in comparison. If you don't understand or if you don't seek to understand the historic moment, the historical moment of why this match matters. And if you cannot get with women's wrestling, you know, taking a step forward as opposed to taking 10 steps backwards, then you just might need to just shut up and just stay out of our business and let us celebrate. Um, if you it's just like I've just seen too many people try to downgrade this main event simply because it wasn't what they thought it should have been. And it's not for you. This is a moment. It's a moment for everyone. But I feel like it's ultimately a moment for black women fans as a whole, because of all the times we've seen so many of our favorite black female wrestlers not get, you know, the greater recognition that some of their white counterparts get. It's like, it's it's been recompensed for that like this match was recompensed for that and if you you know can't understand it and if you don't seek to understand it then maybe you should just let the people who do understand address it and speak about it in their way and what it means as opposed to just you know downgrading it just because you don't see the point okay you don't see the point it's not for you just be quiet and just stay over there but i just know that as that i just know i just i just know as for me as a 27 year old i would have loved to have seen a match like bianca and sasha when i was growing up um as a younger girl but i'm so happy that i still get to see it now and to quote um our vice president kamala harris um they may be the first but they won't be the last and i'm sure and i am seriously hoping that bianca and sasha will not be the last black women um to main event anything i'm hoping that stuff like this can continue to be the norm that women can be in the main event and we won't think twice about it or or we'll just we'll just feel like it's just normal like breathing like it's just a normal thing and i just hope that hist more history can be made even behind the scenes with the people who write the stories and the people who tell the stories who commentate who do media-based jobs and stuff like that more people who do look like me who can do stuff like this because we love wrestling as well you just have to you know we just have to open our minds and just go for it you know so I'm just really grateful to be alive during this present moment and just watching it with the people I watched it with and to experience that and to just cry about it and to feel that there is nothing that is impossible for black women as a whole because so much happens on a regular basis that tries to put us down and silence us. But if we continue to raise our voices and continue to be as excellent as we know we can be in a world that tries to under value us and under provide for us then there is nothing that we can't do so Bianca and Sasha gave me every piece of energy that I needed for the rest of this week and every piece of attitude and never forget um for the black women who are listening to this podcast and for anyone who's listening to this podcast you are the EST and the boss of your life all you have to do is embrace it and that's the end of this segment
Okay, so I was sitting with my friends one day and they asked me, Stephanie, how do you record your podcast? And I said, with the Anchor app on my phone. And they were like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, it's that simple. It is absolutely free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. And it will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership. And it's got everything you need to make a podcast in one place. They even have classes and stuff that you can listen to that will give you all kinds of good tips on what you need to do in order to make the best podcast. So if you want to do this, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. Alright, so now I'm going to talk about WrestleMania, which parts were my favorite parts from night one and the Notorious Night 2. So, of course, I just did a whole segment about why I love Sasha and Bianca, so I won't really go fully into that. But just know I loved it, and and it's one of the greatest main events in WrestleMania history. Don't fight me. Fight your mama. I don't care. Either way, another favorite part of night one of WrestleMania was just the fact of watching them sort of scramble to try to figure out night one um because of the rain um in tampa in tampa there was like a forecast of a lot of rain that weekend and so when they tried to start the show and they did the whole intro for everything it's like they had to go back to the pre-show a little bit and then go backstage for people to do promos and all that because it was raining and i thought that was the cutest thing on the planet because i'm just like i had never seen a, a wrestlemania get rained out before i was just like man what like it was just crazy to me so watching them and then watching um michael cole and the dearly departed samoa joe um i said it like he was gone like he's not dead guys he just he just got fired but still um the departed samoa joe sort of being rain ponchos and talking about you know what's going on and what the card was was supposed to be about and everything that was really funny and really cute to me um they just had to figure it out, you know, on the fly. And then also, you know, seeing Vince McMahon sort of give his speech, um, talking about how they how they were so happy that the fans were able to come out and still participate because it was it had been a long year. And what can I say? It was a little bit of an adjustment to watch wrestling without an audience. So it was nice to see everyone there, you know, being able to participate and be safe, hopefully, and, you know, just... Um, enjoy themselves and everything and hearing them cheer and yell and stuff like that and seeing people react to everything that was going on like that was really cool and I was glad that the fans were able to come back and I was glad that Vince McMahon actually took it upon himself to address the fans and actually understand and actually tell them you know like we really missed y'all you know I'm glad to be back this is Wrestlemania let's do it and he came out there with the entire roster you know and they were and some of them were clearly very emotional as well including Rhea Ripley in this very poignant picture in which she's standing in front of Jinder Mahal and she just looks so adorable just crying like I just love her face either way (laughs) she was just so emotional and we were all just it was just happy you know a happy moment you know just to see everyone enjoying the live show um and even green t-shirt guy was in the crowd too like he's at all the wrestlemanias and all the pay-per-views it was good to see him again too so then you also had bobby lashley and drew mcintyre start the show and this match was a pretty solid you know matchup against two 
giant heavyweights like these people. And I know a lot of people thought that Drew was going to win just so he could have his moment in front of fans or whatever. But Bobby Lashley, the Bobby Lashley wave isn't finished running. And he's still very much over, even though a lot of people, even though it sounded like um, the fans were kind of booing him. Um, because he was a heel, but I'm not sure if that was crowd noise. They just filtered in, but it's just the fact that Bobby won, you know, at WrestleMania, he had his moment, you know, even though it seems like Drew is about to fight him for the title again at Backlash, which is now called WrestleMania Backlash or whatever. Um, it's just the fact that Bobby was able to have his moment too. This sort of fed into the whole WrestleMelanin, um, narrative that was that was going on on twitter and shout out to lovely laveau and her t-shirt that i was able to buy from her water maneuver store where she made um a wrestle melanin t-shirt and i was able to wear it for night one and i was really happy to do that like it was just really cool to see him have his moment because drew's had his moment even though it wasn't in front of people people it was still the principle like you've had your moment you've had the wwe championship twice let somebody else get some shine please thank you sit down um Another favorite part of night one of WrestleMania was watching the Riot Squad sort of rise up in a tag team turmoil match to try to qualify for the um, match at night two against Nia and Shayna. And then their gear was so cute because they came out dressed like Joker and Harley Quinn. It was just kind of like, what? Like, it was just so good. And I was really rooting for them to possibly win the tag team turmoil because we hadn't really seen them on television much since, you know, that Friday before wrestlemania well the actually no the friday before the friday before wrestlemania when they were making their presence felt for the tag team titles and i've and it breaks my heart that they've never won it like they've literally never won the tag team titles but natalia and tamina won and i was glad that they were able to have their moment but night two you know they wound up coming up short but it's looking like they're still you know involved in a program with them um which was seen on smackdown live last night i said smackdown live that's not even the same era but either way it's just i was really rooting for the riot squad and i really want better for them you know later on like later on in life so just let the riot squad have great things another favorite part was watching um and then it was also sad in a tag team turmoil because you had carmella versus billy Kay. And now Billy Kay's gone and it's just, and she really could have been Carmela Somalier or assistant person or something. Like you didn't just have to get rid of her like that when she was on the brink of finally possibly breaking through. But you know, we can't control that. So um, my other favorite part was watching Cesaro versus Seth Rollins. And on top of watching Cesaro just having his moment in the sun with his first singles match at WrestleMania, which is sort of beefing him up to possibly be next in line to challenge Roman Reigns for the Universal title, he was pulling all kinds of, you know, athletic feats. And this really wasn't anything new here. Um, he's always impressive with his uppercuts and everything. But there was this point where he was spinning Seth Rollins around on his shoulders without any hands, without holding him on his shoulders. And that was really cool. And they kept showing it last night on SmackDown over and over again. But they were really, really letting you know that Cesaro's possibly might be next in line to challenge Roman. But then Roman walked away from him and treated him like he was a non-factor. And I just thought that was disrespectful but yeah like seeing Cesaro get his moment at Wrestlemania and then him winning that match and then crying afterward was really cool and it's rumored that Cesaro's gear at Wrestlemania was sort of patterned after Becky Lynch's um 
little bill gear that she had with the yellow and the black and then with Seth, Seth Rollins coming out with his um new gear that had his picture on the side of his pants which was kind of like the Obama um campaign picture that they made with the word hope on the bottom of it if you if you know that art piece or whatever but it was just really cool that was definitely one of my greatest favorite parts and Oma Omos winning the raw tag team titles with AJ Styles who was missing on this uh, who was missing on this raw this week it's just watching him sort of you know do the basic giant stuff was just really cool and he came out there dressed not even dressed in like ring gear ring gear it's like he was dressed up in like dress pants and kind of like these weird dress shoes that were probably athletic um but kind of like the stretchy shirt that you can breathe in like when you're working out or whatever and he really was beating up on the new day and I love my new day but at the same time I was just trying to figure out how were they gonna knock down this seven foot tall monster and they couldn't but there was this point where Kofi got slammed and when he got slammed like his head was sort of cocked to the side and he was looking like he was dead inside and then somebody on social media put Simba from the Lion King next to his head saying, come on, we got to go home. You got to wake up. And I was just like, y'all so wrong. (laughs) Y'all so wrong for doing him like that. But that's really what happened though. And it was just really cool, you know, to see Omos have his debut match, you know, at WrestleMania with a veteran, with veterans like, you know, the New Day and um, AJ Styles, you know, so it was cool. And now AJ Styles is a Grand Slam champion because he's a, he's a GOAT. He's a goat tier wrestler and the new day. Well, they really aren't hurt from losing the tag titles because they've won them so many times now that it's just like, okay, if you lose them, it's okay. It doesn't, it's, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of them being stars. So, I mean, it's going to be okay, but it's weird though, because at WrestleMania, the new day basically lost all of their gold in the, in in the form of big E too. So, yeah, but congratulations to Omos and his little moment. Um, I love him and him and AJ's dynamic. They're cute. Um, And then my last favorite part of night one was Bad Bunny and Damian Priest winning against The Miz and John Morrison. And then The Miz and John Morrison did their entrance and they came out with bunnies. And there was one bunny who lost his ear. And I was telling... um, jay kane and um tk and emily that those bunnies hopping in there just kind of looked like easter on steroids kind of like when you're at an easter parade or like an easter get together at your church and they have the bunnies out there um out of nowhere it's like multiplied at times 20 and that's basically what the miz and john morrison's entrance was um and it made me think about the extraness of how the Miz just he's just always had a flair for the extra because I just remember when I went to WrestleMania 27 and he came out with inflatable um letters that spelled out awesome you know and then and then his little song for his little um montage that showed him from a child going through the real world and at this point was you could hate me now but I won't stop now that was P Diddy and Nas or whatever and John Cena came out to that to that little montage that had DMX's voice in it with that prayer rest in peace to DMX but with that um gospel choir too like I experienced a lot of cool things at WrestleMania 27 y'all crap on it but that was my moment I don't care what y'all say that's my mania for life and I was 17 so I don't care um (laughs) but still back to the match Bad Bunny was one of the most impressive celebrity wrestlers I'd ever seen like he had been in the lab for like three to four months and getting trained by 
Drew Gulak and Adam Pierce and Norman Smiley. And you can tell that he really did put in the work. Like he hit this Canadian destroyer on the outside of the ring on the Miz. That was just absolutely beautiful. And then he was hitting arm drags and doing all kinds of punches and everything. I was just like, look at you, bad bunny. You better get it. I was rooting for him the whole time. And it was just so cool. And I was just wondering, like, how cool would it be since Bad Bunny loves wrestling so much if he could be like um, Chris Jericho used to be? You know, he'll do his music, you know, kind of like on the side. And then he'll come back and do wrestling a couple of times and stuff and like be in actual feuds. Like, how cool would that be? Like, I want I wanted Bad Bunny to stay, but he's starting his, you know, world tour now, which is great. But at the same time, you know, and then he had a commercial advertising his world tour, you know, with Triple H giving him a case. And a lot of people on social media was like, bro, is he going to be in the Money in the Bank match? <laughs> and I wouldn't fight it either because I'm pretty sure he would learn how to do all them jumps and everything and probably kick all kinds of butt at it. So, um... Watching Damian Priest, you know, and Bad Bunny show up, you know, for Puerto Rican culture and doing that, you know, was just really amazing. So those were my favorite parts of night one. And then with night two, that one kind of, I feel like the beginning kind of took the air out of the room a little bit because that was the match. It started with the match with um, Randy Orton versus The Fiend, right? And this was The Fiend's first time wrestling a match since he was set on fire. And poignantly, it was also his first match wrestling since the death of Brody Lee. Because he was standing in a ring and when he had hit Randy Orton with a move or something, he screamed out and he screamed out into the audience and said, yeah, 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 which is something that um, Brody Lee used to say in his Luke Harper persona. And I just thought that was really poignant and really sweet. Um... But his entrance, you know, was really sick, too, because he came in through a tunnel and he sort of reinvigorated himself from being the burned fiend that we had seen in the past couple of weeks. And then um, Alexa Bliss came out, you know, along with him. But then she sort of distracted him during the match with black goo coming from her face and being sort of like this dark, evil queen. And then Randy Orton took advantage of it and hit the RKO and won. And so when The Fiend was staring at, you know, Alexa Bliss being, you know, what she, doing what she was doing by sitting on the giant jack-in-the-box, it went black and then they disappeared. So it's just kind of like, so, you know, the fans were booing because they didn't understand what was going on. But to me, you know, I was kind of confused by it myself. But at the same time, they explained it on Monday Night Raw where she said, you know, she was wondering if the darkness that he had taught her was just standing in her way. And so now she's all little miss. I can do evil all by myself. And I'm wondering how this is going to go. And I'm wondering who this little doll is supposed to be with teeth, with skulls for teeth that move, that freaked me out. But, um, yeah, like that kind of confused some people. And I think that let the air out of the room and it made some people mad. So that's valid. So I understand that. But watching Natty and Tamina give their all in that women's tag team match was really good, too. Even though Aparmi was kind of worried about Tamina a little bit, because I know sometimes she has her and Nia Jax both um, have issues with injuries with knees, with their knees and stuff. And I don't want to diss them in that way because I know injuries happen and stuff like that. But I was a little bit worried about them. But they still, you know, pushed through and managed to have a decent match. But I was disappointed in the idea 
that Nia and Shayna wound up winning and it was just sort of like if you guys are trying to usher in new eras and stuff like this why can't you just let I feel like Nia and Shayna have been tag team champions you know they've been tag team champions twice now but I feel like they've been champions forever and I'm ready for them to kind of just let loose because at first it was looking like Shayna and Nia were possibly about to break up and then Reggie got thrown in there and he was just sort of like a dent in Shayna's life and then after that you know Reggie disappeared so I don't know where he is at this point and I just don't know what type of organization or disorganization is going on with the women's tag team division but they need to figure it out like they really do need to figure it out because they have such talented women involved in this and there's just so much that I feel is just so stagnant now with them leaving it with just you know them so it's just kind of like gosh dang it like help um so yeah um I was disappointed in Shayna and Nia retaining and I'm just needing something else to happen with that another favorite part I had was Kevin and Sammy because you can't ever go wrong with Kevin and Sammy Zayn fighting each other plus not to mention along with them fighting each other you had Logan Paul thrown into the mix and he wound up getting stunned which made me happy because you could uh, there were people who were booing him in the audience and I thought that was so funny because my boyfriend told me that not a lot of people really like him and his brother for specific reasons that I won't get into here so it was funny to see him get booed and then he and to see him wind up getting stunned um and Kevin Owens wound up winning the match so that was pretty good um and then my other favorite part was Apollo Crews and Big E you know in their Intercontinental Championship match which also fed into the Russell Melanin um narrative because you had Big E coming out with his new gear that had that featured um feeding Tampa Bay um which is something that he's an activist for in terms of childhood hunger and he had Wale um come out and perform his theme song y'all want to go big then say that and I thought that was so cool because I love Wale you know outside of the realm of wrestling I am a music head and I love Wale and I love his music and he's and I feel like he's very underrated as a rapper and so watching him be a wrestling fan is just really cool to me um and to sort of see him perform with another with yet another star because he's also performing the street profits before you know meant the world to me and because he was the last concert I saw before the pandemic you know spread across the United States so yeah shout out to Wale I love you and hopefully one day you'll be on my podcast please pretty please with sugar lumps on top um (laughs) so that match was really you know between him and then and Apollo Crews was really really good even though it was you know um a Nigerian drum match and then something that irritated me in the pre-show was when Sonya Deville came on to sort of give her two cents about the um Nigerian drum fight match it's like she was talking about it and she felt like she was being respectful um in saying that only Apollo Crews could talk about you know culturally you know what that match would mean to him as a Nigerian man and then you have Booker T throw his little two cents in there he was like what am I chop liver and I'm just like no you're not chop liver you're just not specifically Nigerian sweetheart you're African-American but you're not specifically Nigerian so you wouldn't necessarily know you know the specifics of it and he was and Booker T was really feeding into negative African stereotypes and it was irritating me and I was just like can you just be quiet and just accept the fact that you don't know everything specifically about blackness 
like blackness is way more diverse than we give it credit for and I feel like him sort of talking that much crap about it you know making it seem like he's the expert because he's the black guy at the table was just a little bit tone deaf to me but the match itself wound up you know making up for all of that and then you had Dava Kato who is now known as Commander Azir's um making his re-debut on the side of um Apollo Cruz, he hit him with the Nigerian nail, which is what Apollo Cruz was calling it last night, which looks very similar to Umaga and what he used to do to his opponents, where he used to run his giant thumb into their throat, which was painful looking. Rest in peace to Umaga. And then it and then Apollo Cruz wound up winning the match, you know, with cheating. So that makes me feel like Big E and Apollo Cruz's story may not necessarily be over at this point because Apollo cheated. But the match was still stellar though, and it was still really good. And then my last favorite part was Rhea Ripley winning um, the Raw Women's Championship from Asuka. And as much as I love Asuka, I just feel like, you know, I feel like WWE was heavily leaning into their women's champions, you know, being women of the future in terms of her, um, Bianca Belair, and then Raquel Gonzalez winning over on NXT. So watching that match, it was a little bit slow in places, but it was still relatively good. And I was happy that Rhea Ripley was able to win and sort of get some, um, recompense for how she lost at WrestleMania last year to, to Charlotte Flair. Um, and it seems like her and Charlotte Flair are never going to stop crossing hairs with each other because now Charlotte is back on Raw and she's sort of going for and gunning for the Raw Women's title yet again. And she's going to have to fight Rhea for it. So I'm still happy for Rhea, though, and I'm happy for all those girls who have won and who are now the future of the women's division now. Um, and I really love the main event involving Roman Reigns, Edge, and Daniel Bryan, even though I didn't want Daniel Bryan to be in it. It was still really good, and I was able to see how Daniel Bryan was willing, not just athletically, but also when it comes to, you know, just doing whatever it took to win the championship, even to pulling the referee out when Edge almost won the title and Edge was trying to destroy him and kill him and all of that other stuff. And they wound up, and it was so funny, Roman Reigns, was using Jay Uso, but it was so funny that he was being a smart champion in the sense of saying, you know, I'm going to let all of these people kill each other and then I'm going to be the only one left standing. And that's exactly what happened. Roman Reigns wound up retaining and it was cool. And shout out to Jay Uso for winning the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal um, on WrestleMania SmackDown last week. And Y'all just need to respect Jay Uso because somebody on Cage Side Seats wrote an article saying that Jay Uso has been bringing Roman Reigns' reign as champion down. And I feel like whoever wrote that just needs to chill. So, yeah, that's pretty much my all, all of my recap for WrestleMania and all of my favorite parts. And you can tell me your favorite parts, you know, on social media, you know, if you like. But that's pretty much the end of this segment. right so thank you guys for listening to this episode of the hardy wrestling podcast like i always say um you can listen to the podcast on anchor iHeartRadio, spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts. on my youtube channel please like share and subscribe on the hardy wrestling podcast and you can um follow me on instagram at hardy wrestling podcast and on twitter at hardy wrestle pod um i am so happy to be participating in the belladonna division's first um ever 
first ever event, which is called Genesis at the Gaston Mall here in Alabama. Um, I'm going to be a commentator for it alongside so many great women who are going to be on the show. Jazz is going to be on the show and she's also doing a seminar before Genesis. Um, You should check that out as well. And um, there's going to be so, so many great female talent like the WOAD. There's going to be Ray, Ray Lynn there, like so many amazing female talent that's going to be on this show. So I would please, I please encourage you if you're in the Alabama area to please check us out. I'm going to be posting the link to buy tickets on my Instagram and also on my other um, social media platforms. If you want to, if you're interested in buying tickets, um, general admission is $15 ringside seats are $20. Please come out and support this all female, um, wrestling promotion in the South here in Alabama. Like please support women's wrestling. Um, so with that in mind, I hope you are having a great weekend, um, and also having, you know, and I hope you really enjoyed WrestleMania and were able to bask in the glow for however long you were able to bask in the glow, because I know we all kind of got hit in the teeth with those releases and everything. But I still, you know, just want you to to understand that even with that, there's still so much to love about wrestling, even though sometimes it can cut us fans a raw deal. Um But at the same time, I'm just hoping that you're staying safe and that you're being your best self and you're living your best life um, and not going back and forth with these people. But yeah, (laughs) I just made that reference. So yeah, um, this is Stephanie Hardy. It's your girl, Stephanie Hardy of The Hardy Wrestling Podcast. And until next time, bye, y'all.